folks, good morning. If we don't know each other, I'm Pastor Paul. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, first things first, though, it is my great privilege to, to discharge the fifth through eighth grade to get on out of here, right? And as you go, fifth through eighth graders, don't look so happy. Don't look so excited. But I know you are. So there we go. Hey, four oaks, glad you're here. Um, we will be starting back up in the book of Romans, which we've been preaching through over this past season. We'll be starting back up in Romans next week. But for this week, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. You know, my wife Susan and I had the opportunity over the last few days to, to get out of town and do some goal setting. We looked at our, our calendars, our priorities, our finances, our schedules, just trying to think through, God, what, what do you want us to do this year? What are our trajectories, our priorities? We know that many of you, you take this season to do that in your own homes, in your own families, in your, in your marriages. You set goals. You think about um, where where you want to run to, what, are, what do you want to see happen. And in a lot of ways, it, it's a shame that we don't more, more often do that when it comes to the church, when it comes to our church family. Folks, I, I want you to think for a second just about who we are and what is happening as we are gathering this morning. You know, the Apostle Paul says, we are the family of God. He says that we are the, the pillar and the buttress of truth. We are his witnesses. We are his people. He's given us a great commission to go and fulfill. He's called us to honor and glorify him in all that we do. So, of course, it would seem obvious that we need to be having those same kind of conversations as a church family. God, where are you leading us this year? Where, where do you want us to land? What are our priorities? What are our trajectories? And so that's where we are heading this morning. Um, I want to communicate on behalf of, of the pastors and the elders some of the directions that we feel God calling us to run towards in the coming season in 2022. And let me just say this, if you're a, if you're a guest with us this morning, and maybe you're visiting because of a New Year's resolution, or you've moved in from out of town, this is a great opportunity to sort of eavesdrop, right? There's, you know, you can learn a lot about a family by eating dinner with them and sitting around their table and just listening, Right? That's why Susan and I don't invite people over to eat dinner with us, right? People would learn too much. It would, ex it would expose us too greatly. But in a lot of ways, that, that, that's what you're getting the opportunity to do here this, this morning. And as we're, as we're thinking about this, let's be honest. Guys, the world had great expectations for 2021, did it not? The world had great expectations for 2021 coming off the disaster that was 2020. In fact, you might have seen one of those political cartoons. There's father time as an old man who represents 2020. And then there's the baby who represents 2021. And father time is saying something like, how could any year be worse than this, right? And what does 2021 say? Hold my beer, right? Hold on, hold on, I'm, I'm coming. You, just, you haven't seen nothing yet. And in a lot of ways, um, as a church family, we are not immune to that. And as I think back over 2021, um, it seems like we have just had an inordinate amount of, of suffering as a church family. And so before we kind of dive into 2022, I just want to take some time to remember some of our family members, church family members who have gone on to be with the Lord in 2021 and just say something about, about each of them. Um, a lot of you, of course, um, knew Liz Cleary. Liz was a stalwart in our women's ministry, poured her life into 
and to young women taught the Bible, and she passed away from, from cancer. Um, Sheila Maxwell, who's part of the Maxwell clan who faithfully attends this church, um, Sheila became very sick over the holidays and just passed in the last couple of days from, from cancer as, as well. And so I want to, want to be praying for, for both of these families, the Clearys and the Maxwells, who lost these dear sisters to, to cancer. Um, many of you know Steve and Lisa Sellers. Well, their only daughter, Kat Sellers, uh, passed away unexpectedly this year, and this is their third adult child that they have lost. And um, you need to know that they covet your prayers, that they are um, sorrowful, but yet they are hope-filled in their grieving. And so those of you who have lost children just know the immense pain that, they're, that they have been walking through. Um, when we think about COVID, COVID has not left Four Oaks untouched. We've lost two family members this past season to COVID. One, Jeff Jordan and um, his wife, Melissa, and their four precious kids who were left behind. Just really remember them, pray for them, um, reach out to them as, as you see need. And then, of course, Krista Reese um, also passed from COVID. And, and Scott has faithfully served and played in our worship team, as Krista um, did as well. And so these are hard seasons of walking through these first holidays with, with, without these loved ones. So please remember these families. Someone who, who had an impact just even beyond Four Oaks, but was near and dear to many of us here in Tallahassee, of course, is Chuck Ryer. Chuck was a dear ministry friend. We, we came up at the same time. He at Wildwood, me at Four Oaks. He went on. We were part of the same network of churches. We remained dear friends. Chuck some of you don't, may not know this, Chuck was slated to preach here um, two, um, t- only just two weeks um, before he was um, killed in a car accident. And so um, Chuck is a, is a dear friend, brother, poured his life into many. Um, you know, this, this afternoon, I get to be a part of a celebration at Wildwood Church because Bob Evans is, is retiring um, after 25 years there. Well, Chuck was a, a real product of Bob's ministry. And so you can see kind of the impact losing someone like that might have. Someone else that, that you may not be aware of that's been very sick this season is one of our elders, Kent Hamilton. Kent, um, we, we started serving as elders together at the same time um, back in 1997. And Kent, if you know anything about Kent, he is a man of hope, faith, optimism, prayer. He was always the elder right in the middle of the elder meeting to say, I know we're discussing important things, guys, but don't you think it's important enough that we actually pray about this? And Kent was that leader, and Kent's been under hospice care now, and they expect him to be with the Lord um, soon. So pray for Jan and their extended family. That, that's a huge blow to us um, as, as a church family and as, as elders because of who Kent was. And so let's... In fact, before we even go a step further, let's commend these saints, their families to the Lord, ask their grace and blessing upon God's grace and blessing upon them before we, before we dive in. Lord, we do um, truly resonate with the truth that sorrowful, we are always rejoicing. Lord, this life is hard. It is full of pain and suffering and loss and brokenness. And it is temporary, and it is fast. It is like a vapor. 
And so, Lord, that's why we have to have something solid to put our hope in, something, something permanent, eternal to put our stake in the ground into. And we know that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There is no other name under heaven or earth by which men must be saved. There is no other place for us to find refuge and safety. And so we pray for the families of these saints who have been lost this year. Pray that you would be your, their peace. Pray that you would be their comfort. Pray that you would reveal yourself in a mighty way to them. Lord, you, you tell us there's a time and a season to mourn and a time to cry. And, and, and 2021 has been that in many ways. And so, Father, as we turn our attention now to 2022, Lord, we acknowledge that you are the Lord. You are Lord over all creation. You are Lord over our calendars, over time, over our lives. And we commit them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why Acts 20? Why Acts 20? You know, when there are times of uncertainty, and let's be honest, 2022 doesn't seem to be any more certain than the other two years prior to it, does it? And in times of uncertainty, people naturally ask, what's happening? Where are we going? What, are the leader, what does the leadership think should be our priorities? Where, where are we being led to? And Acts 20 is a great text for us because it is a text fundamentally of Paul addressing a group of men, the Ephesian elders, who are facing a time of great uncertainty. You see, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and he is soon going to be imprisoned. And he calls the elders down from Ephesus to meet him at this coastal city of Miletus because he has some really crucial, important things to say to them. See, Paul has been their founding pastor. In a lot of ways, Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, is the crown jewel of Paul's ministry. He spent an inordinate amount of time compared to other churches ministering there, serving, preaching, teaching for three years. Um, he left his blood, sweat, and tears in Ephesus, and now he's called them to come see him because he's going away. And he says, you're never going to see me again, and we have to ask what would Paul say to these leaders at this particular opportune time, this window of opportunity to tell them that God would have them do? With Paul going away, there's so many things that you could imagine Paul could say. So many strategic plans, so much vision, so much this idea and this idea. But we want to capture something from Acts 20 to know what our priorities and vision and direction should be for this coming season. And so if you can, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to read Acts 20 together. We're going to read actually beginning in verse 17 down to verse 32. Now from Miletus, he, meaning Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole Time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city 
that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which, he, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Lord, just one more time, we ask your help. Lord, let this be the words from your lips and your mouth, not mine, not the elders of Four Oaks. Let this, let, let this be the message from you. Let us be faithful to the text. Let us be obedient to what you show us in it. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please take your seats. As one of the recent phenomena that we saw really come to bloom in 2021, although it's been happening really forever, and even particularly this season, this decade, but, but one of the phenomena we've seen really come to bloom in the Christian community is this idea of deconstruction, meaning well-known Christian leaders, well-known uh, professing believers walking away from the faith sort of deconstructing everything that they have come to believe and hold to be dear true into falling away. Now, this takes the form of, of people like Josh Harris, professing Christians who, who denounce their faith entirely. As, a, as some quip put this, Josh wrote from I Kiss Dating Goodbye to I, Chris, um, I Kiss Christianity Goodbye. That's true, Right. This, this takes forms of people just walking away entirely. It also takes the form of people just reinterpreting their faith into something unrecognizable that does not correspond to what we would consider orthodox Christian theology and preaching. Now, in response to this, um, there's a group of people, and I, I think many of them are well-intentioned, um, who write, blog, and speak, who kind of sound the alarm to say, listen, this is a serious crisis. It's a serious issue, this deconstruction thing. And unless the church changes, unless we adapt, unless we, we recognize that we're in a changing time and season and culture, we're going to be doomed to irrelevancy. Now, this is, and what is meant by this is not so much let's just take the old true message of the gospel and learn to apply it in different contexts. That's very biblical. But what is oftentimes meant otherwise is this idea that we need to adapt our theology. We need to accommodate our theology to something that's more palpable, that's something that's more easily digestible by the culture at large. Now, understand something. Deconstruction is not new. Okay, It's been happening since the dawn of the church. It even happened to, to people in Paul's ministry like Demas. Isn't it interesting 
that Paul in this passage specifically mentions to the elders. Hey, guys, there's going to actually be some of you even who walk away from the faith. And Paul speaks from personal experience. And we have to ask, what was Paul's response to this? What was Paul's approach? And we have to understand theological adaptation was not it. Instead, look what he says in verse 26. Paul says, I testify to you this day, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, before we unpack what that means, John MacArthur in his sermon on this passage notes something very interesting. And I did not realize this until he drew my attention to it. But do you know that Acts 20 is the only recorded message of Paul's in Acts that's given to Christians? Now, now, there's a lot of addresses that are recorded in Acts that Paul gives to non-Christians, to pagan rulers, um, to hostile Jews, to crowds, um, evangelistic opportunities. But this is the only one that's reserved for us by Luke of Paul specifically addressing Christians and Christian leaders at that. Now, for Luke to include it, and Luke is, of course, the author of Acts, must mean that he considered this of great importance to us and to the church, that this is Paul's one address to Christians, Christians like us, that would be preserved. And we find out about so much of what Paul sees as the vision and task and the priorities and the trajectories of the church. See, Paul's solution to the threats facing the church was not accommodation. Paul's solution to the threats facing the church was, in fact, to double down on the word of God. Paul reminds them that they are to take every opportunity just as he has, whether it's in a big group like this or in small groups in homes or personal relationships or conversations, that our chief task, his chief task, was to press down the word of God into people's lives and hearts. Paul says in verse 20, listen to this, look there. He says, I did not fail to declare to you anything that was profitable for your faith. Now that word profitable means to bear up, to help. Now that same idea, that same word to profit, interesting, we see it another time. This time in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, a very familiar passage. All scripture is breathed out by God and is what? Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, I think it's pretty obviously obvious what Paul is saying here. The scriptures are what are profitable, and that's what I'm anxious to declare to you. That's what I'm anxious to tell. And the reason the scriptures are profitable and there's many reasons, but I think chief among those reasons for Paul is that the scriptures are the only authoritative, divine, perfect witness to Jesus Christ. And when people are deconstructing, and then all of a sudden they seem to be worshiping and proclaiming a Jesus that seems out of step with the New Testament. He might be perfectly in step with the culture, and the values of the culture, but he seems to be out of step with the New Testament, we could rightly say they are not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. And I think that Paul says something here in Acts 20 that is very pertinent to us, Four Oaks, 
in this particular day and age. First, Paul says that he did not shrink back from declaring the God, that God's word. Now, that word shrink means to withdraw or to, or to shield yourself or to, to, to be diminished or, or even to pull your punch, to not play through the contact. Now, most of you who know me know I love football of any and all sorts, but I never actually really played the game. I got to be honest with you. My football career lasted two days in peewee football, and I quit, okay, because I realized I could not play through the contact. Do you, you know what I mean? Coaches teach this. And football is a violent game, make no mistake, right? And in order to be a successful football player, having to have some sort of athletic ability, which I have none. But in order to be a successful football player, you've got to learn to play through the contact. In other words, if you're a, if you're a running back, you can't tiptoe up to the line of scrimmage. If you're a linebacker, you can't sort of jog over to that tight end coming across the middle and say, hmm, did I hit him or should I not hit him? You, you, you don't sort of like shield yourself and your shoulder away just so you can lessen the contact. In fact, football coaches will tell you that is a surefire way to get yourself hurt, son. Get, your, get, get on out of there to the sideline before you get your head taken off, right? You've got to learn to play through the contact. This is what the word means for Paul. When he says, I did not shrink back, what he means is that Paul did not gauge the situation and sort of the, the political instincts of the people and then modify his message to make it less offensive. Paul, Paul did not pull his punch Paul instead, he tells us here, declared, and this is an authoritative, running through the contact, direct, assertive approach, did not hesitate to declare the whole counsel of God. Now, when Paul talks about declaring the whole counsel of God, let's talk for a minute what, about what that doesn't mean and what it does mean. Let's talk about first what it, what it doesn't mean. Sometimes when we have that image of declaring the whole counsel of God, it's like, that's right, Pastor Paul. You tell them. You tell all the people out there what they've got wrong and what they should be doing and who they should be voting for and why, you know, all those sorts of things. What, 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 what it doesn't mean, now listen carefully, church. This is going to be a novel idea for some of us. It doesn't mean that, it, first of all, it doesn't mean saying everything that you could say about something. Do you realize that when somebody posts on social media, that it's okay for you not to respond? Did you realize that? Okay. It, it's, you actually don't have to share all of your opinions about everything with everybody in the world. First of all, and I hate to break this to you, nobody cares. Okay. But, that, that, but that's a whole other matter. But there are certain things that the Bible is crystal clear on. Let me just, a, a few. The Bible is crystal clear about who you and I are and our need for a Savior. The Bible is super clear about who Jesus is, how God has, has sent him to be um, our salvation through the gospel. The Bible is super clear about eternity, salvation. It's clear about sexuality. It's clear about life. It's clear about marriage. I could go on and on and on. However, there are some things that the Bible is less clear about. For example, and this is going to be one of those sermons, get your, hope you have protective wear on your feet, right? Because we're going to do a little stomping. The Bible does not tell us how to navigate a pandemic. The Bible does not tell us should we get or not get vaccines. 
Should we mask or not mask? What do we do with our kids? Should we, how should we engage the government politically, socially? All those things. The Bible is not clear about those things. It doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't have principles that speak to them. I'm not, I'm not saying that. It very much does. What it means is this, though, Christian. Those things by which the Bible is not crystal clear about, you and I need to be very circumspect about what we say, about what we declare as authoritative, by sort of enshrining our opinions as sort of infallible standards. See, and let me tell you how this, this, this translates to what we do here at Four Oaks. Preaching the whole counsel of God is not me coming up here and sharing all of my opinions and hot takes on everything. That, that, I do not have that authority to bind your conscience to things that are not clear in the word of God. And by the way, I just don't trust myself to do that. And you should not trust yourself to do that. By definition, when we get super dogmatic, super authoritative about things that the scriptures are not correspondingly clear about, that is not profitable. You need to know know something here. Our elders are unified about this. Now, I didn't say our elders are unified about all the current issues facing our culture. Our elders are in a variety of different places and have opinions and perspectives and strong ones, but that yet they are very unified that we as a church, to be centered on the gospel, has to preach the whole counsel of God, nothing more and nothing less. To be crystal clear about the things that the Bible is crystal clear about, that, that dictates how we preach, that dictates how we organize our ministries, that, that dictates um, the things that we exhort you to versus the things that we entrust to your conscience, entrust to your personal relationship with the Lord. So if that's not preaching the whole counsel of God, what what I just said, what does it mean to preach the whole counsel of God? Look at verse 21. Paul says something very significant. He says, we were testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why does Paul, in the middle of this, designate this idea that he was preaching both to Jews and the Gentiles, the two dominant ethnic cultural groups of the day. And I think the reason he does this is that Paul knows that each of those groups of people have built-in biases to receiving certain parts of the word of God. And and I think he he alludes to this in 1 Corinthians uh, 1. Listen to this. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now listen, here's the key verse. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, for, for the Greeks, the gospel was foolishness. Just, it just doesn't make any sense. For the Jews, it was scandalous. Paul says, i got to speak to both. I can't pull punches with either group. 
And what a Jew would consider an obstacle to the gospel and what a Greek would consider an obstacle to the gospel would oftentimes be very different. And what Paul is saying is that I aspire to be an equal opportunity truth teller. That no matter where the word of God leads us, we are going to speak to it. Paul was, in a, in a word, multi-directional. And this is a, a phrase termed by Trevin Wax. Listen to what he says. Multi-directional leaders fend off threats from more than one direction. They hold up scripture and fearlessly proclaim truths that cut to the root of our sins, failures, and dysfunctions. Listen, no matter what political or theological categories are crossed. Please, please hear this, church. Paul could have gone and preached to the Jews and said things that were entirely true, but by virtue of what he left unsaid could not have been faithful. See, there are certain things that Paul could have said to the Jews, and the Jews would be right on Paul. We absolutely agree with that, Paul. Paul, you are hitting a home run on that one, and, and Paul could have stopped there. He could have done the same thing with the Gentiles, and the Gentiles would have said, right on, Paul. We agree with you, Paul. You're so super smart and well-spoken, Paul. But the very thing they needed to hear, he could have pulled his punch. He would not have been faithful. Let me give you an example. Pro-life issues are an issue that I are near and dear to our heart as a church family. I believe they are thoroughly biblical. I think the Bible is super clear on this issue. But imagine that if I decided to come in Sunday after Sunday and preach only on that issue knowing that you agreed with it, knowing that you would affirm it, that you might applaud it. But what if I neglected the things that are also true, but which dig much deeper into our cultural idols? Things for upper middle class suburban folks on the northeast side of town, things like our money, things like our lifestyle, things like our priorities and our Hobbies, you would say, well, Pastor Paul, you went from preaching to meddling, right? That's preaching the whole counsel of God. Again, Trevin Wax, I'm quoting him. Multidirectional leadership must be distinguished from moderation. We're not aiming for moderation. It is not about finding a perfect balance of competing interests and belief, beliefs. Christian leadership requires an imagination formed by scripture, as well as a deep understanding of the current cultural moment so we know what to say and when, what to emphasize and how, and what challenges to face and where. We need leaders who know their Bible and their times well enough to see threats coming from more than one direction, which means at some point in time, the preaching of God's word should hit us at some point. If we find ourselves consistently only amening and not, hmm, I need to think about that. Hmm, I'm not sure I agree with that. Hmm, that's really, you know, that, that's a good thing. That means the Holy Spirit is working and speaking and moving and applying his word in totality to our hearts and lives, not just throwing red meat to the crowd. That's what Paul means by preaching the whole counsel of God. And so understand something, church, and pray for us in this, because this is not easy. And this doesn't come naturally. I like people to like me. Imagine that. 
And, and typically, most of us want people to like us. We don't want everybody to hate us. And so there's always going to be the temptation for the leader or for Christians at large. There's, there's the temptation for you at work. You know where so-and-so is on this particular issue that the Bible is super-duper clear about. And you're like, uh, not going there. Now, I know this part of the Christian message really resonates with him, so I'll, I'll go there, but I won't go here. That's a temptation we all face. And what Paul is telling us, he's giving us our marching orders. And he's saying, preach, embrace, live the whole counsel of God. Now, what I want to do in this last portion of the message, and you just need to know, my page, my page of notes are usually four pages, and they're kind of like six, I'm just saying. All right, so, so we're going to kind of move, if quote-unquote, through this next section. But here's what I want to do. Based upon that charge from Paul, I want to commend four areas of priorities for us as a church. I want to commend these things for you to pray and think over as you are thinking and organizing your own life in relation to the family of God this season. And so let me, we're going to get started here, and there's going to be a lot coming at you fast and furious. There's a couple of resources for you to follow up. Like if you hear something in the sermon about this or that and the other, like, I want to know more about that. I want to follow up on that. Here, here's what you do. You go to the hub in the lobby, okay, the hub. And standing at the hub is going to be a woman. And here she is, all right? This is Joe Godfrey. Now, even if you're blind, you'll be able to recognize Joe when she speaks, okay? And half the fun is just her accent, let's be honest, right? She grew up a long way from, from Crawfordville, a long way. Joe is the go-to for everything. So in other words, I want to know about this, I want to know about that, I want to serve, I want to get involved. Joe is your person. A second, a second resource is we do have another welcome to the family coming up Saturday, February 5th. This is an opportunity in not such a machine gun style to look at what we believe theologically as a church, to meet some of our pastors and elders, to hear about our vision, to, to get to know one another. I really highly encourage, if you have not been through one of those, to, to, to do so. Um, I think God will, God will meet you as you do that. Okay, so now here we go. Four categories of things that I want you to consider all alliterated for your, your listening pleasure. And here they are. Growing, gathering, going, and giving. Let's talk about growing first. Now, in one sense, you could say everything we do here at Four Oaks is oriented towards helping people grow spiritually, and that's true. But I want to mention three things, okay, that I think will help you particularly in your growth in the Word. Because, again... If what Paul says is true, and we believe it is, we need to be students of the word. So first of all, let me commend to you the idea of reading through the Bible in a year. Now, if all scripture is profitable, and Paul says that about the New Testament, about the Old Testament, then it certainly speaks to this idea that we need to know the word of God. We need to read the word of God. If you have never read through the, 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 the entirety of the Bible, we have a great plan to come into you. It's by the, by, the, by the Navigators, the Journal of Discipleship Bible Reading Plan. There's four portions of Scripture that you read each day. There's something from the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament gospels, the New Testament letters, and the wisdom literature. We have those available at the where? 
the hub, okay, on the way out today if you want to grab one of those. The thing I love about this Bible reading plan is for five days a week, which is perfect for people like me who fall behind, which I already have, right? Now, I've endeavored to do this this year, and I'm saying this as a means of accountability to you, that you're, you're allowed to ask me, how is that Bible reading going, okay? I may act like I didn't hear you, okay, and walk away, but you're allowed to ask me that. So, so if that, I commend that practice to you. Here's the second thing. We are going to be rebooting our pastoral devotionals beginning Monday, January 17th. So those track with our Roman series. We do them every weekday morning, 8 a.m., 10 or 15 minutes. It's an opportunity to take the passage from that week and over the course of that week, ask and answer questions that maybe we didn't get to spend a lot of time on in the sermon or things that we didn't get to at all. I mean, Romans is such a deep, rich expanse of beauty and wisdom and knowledge. There's no way to cover it all in a 30 or 40 minute sermon. We do try to do a little more of that in these pastoral devotionals. A third thing I'll mention in this area of growing, and I'm personally excited about this, is our theology and practice weekend coming up on the the weekend of February 15th through 17th. I may have the dates wrong, but it's, it's that, it's that, it's that second weekend in, in February. We'll tell you more about this. But Greg and Nora Allison, Greg is the professor of systematic theology at Southern Seminary in Louisville. His wife, Nora, has been a women's ministry director at one of the Sojourn churches there. And they're going to be here meeting with our leaders and elders and women's ministry leaders and doing a variety of things. But one of the things that we've asked Greg to do um, on that Saturday morning is to lead a seminar called The Book of Romans and Roman Catholicism. And one of the reasons that we are doing that is that I know many of you come from a Roman Catholic background. Many of you have friends and family who come from a Roman Catholic background. Many of you have children or students in college who are exploring Roman Catholicism. And one of the basic questions for you might be, what what am I to do with this? Or what am I to think about this? Because it's clear, is it not, as we've been studying through the book of Romans, that so much of what Paul teaches seems to run antithetical to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. What are we to do about that? We're not there to cast stones. We're there to learn, but we also want to know what it means to embrace the whole counsel of God and to apply it in the context of these particular relationships. All right, one thing, you'll hear more about that. One thing I'll also mention that will leave this area of growing is that if if you really want to take a deep dive into reformational theology this season, this season, make this a real season of study and growth, really consider going um, with us, a Four Oaks group, on this Reformation trip. We're going to go to Germany and Switzerland. We're going to study the lives of Luther and Calvin. It's going to be kind of a teaching tour. We have about 18 people who have signed up. We have room for eight or ten more. And there is going to be a meeting next Sunday after church um, we're, we're not going to be serving German fare. It will be barbecue, but Luther would he'd be fine with that. Okay? Luther would eat and drink anything. And, and in fact, by the way, Luther always makes a guest appearance at these things. Okay? Just so you know, Luther always makes a guest appearance. And if you sign up for this trip, he will sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God in German. Just so you know, all right? And if you're saying, no, he won't, you try it out. All right? I think it'll happen. All right, that's growing. Let's talk about gathering. Guys, let's be honest. Let's acknowledge the elephant in the room. One of the chief obstacles of the church of the last two to two and a half years has been this idea of gathering. We have been hindered like no other time in our lives, at least, 
in when and how and where to gather as a believer. And understand, this is not just a political conflict. It's not just a sociological conflict. Guys, this is a spiritual conflict. Because the central discipline of the Christian church, and it has been this way for 2,000 years, guess what, is that we gather as believers. We come together. And there's a very real sense that we can say if we are not gathering as a church, we're not really functioning as the church. This is why there are the very clear commands, and we had it in our call to worship this morning, don't forsake the assembling together. There are very few, it is one of the passages, let me put it this way, in the Bible that is crystal clear when it comes to this issue. Let me say this, guys, I'm very thankful for technology. I'm thankful for live streaming and podcasting and posting. Um, It's been really needed this season. In fact, we have people watching right now who are sick with COVID or in quarantine or can't travel or are bedridden. But let me just say this. It is a far from ideal situation, okay? See, I, I want to press into us this idea of being physically present with the people of God with every opportunity that we can get. See, churches, see, one of the things that's happened this season is that, oh, I don't have to go into work. I can work remotely from home. It's that way with church. Church, please hear this, is not like working from home. We can't work remotely as a church. Now, if you're streaming right now, don't turn this off yet. Wait till after the sermon, okay? But something I feel compelled to say, I have to say it. The church is not designed to go indefinite amounts of time. You are not designed to go indefinite amounts of time without gathering. The Bible doesn't say gather, but only when the possibility of no risk exists. The Bible does not say that. The Bible does not say gather, but only if nothing else is going on in your life, which seems important. Gather but only when you can assure one another of 100% safety. Say that to the believers in China. Say that to the believers in North Korea. I don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we don't gather responsibly, safely, wisely. Of course, all those things. But here's a non-negotiable. We're gathering. We're gathering. That means, number one, gathering as a whole body. We will continue to do this till somebody forcibly makes us not do it, but we're doing it. And it's a primary rhythm of our lives. We're going to continue to preach through the book of Romans, the whole counsel of God. This is why we exposit God's word together. So I I, I exhort you to to gather as a a church family. Um, We're going to go back to taking communion the old way. Um, One of the things that we think is very precious indeed is the relationship of the elder to the parishioner in the serving of the communion elements. Um, we, so we're in the middle of planning that process and that transition. There's logistically stuff to, to, to get through. We have a lot of leaders, in fact, elders, um, others who are, who are quarantined right now. And so we're looking for the right time and the right season. We certainly will, but it'll be sooner than later, we certainly will make the communion elements available to you for those, for different reasons. You're not comfortable taking communion that way, whatever have you. But we believe that's important. We believe that was a priority, a value of the New Testament church. 
Guys, one of the things that's been greatly encouraging this season has been seeing how so many of you have been gathering in small groups. So, of course, there's community groups. But seeing you gather and re-engage and restore ministries. Guys, we have a group that meets around the theme of grief. Some of you may not know that, grief share. We have a single mom's group. We have a widow's group. We have a young adult's group. And, and I would say this admonition to not forsake the assembling together means that we have a posture as believers we want to get together, whether it's personally, individually, small groups, corporately. Guys, we, we want to gather as men and women. So the women have, a, have an upcoming winter brunch on January 22nd. Um, for you women to kind of launch you off into the new year spiritually. We have a men's retreat coming up March 25th through 27th. A pastor from Albuquerque is going to be preaching. But let, 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 let me, let me um, he's going to be preaching that retreat, but let me say this before we leave this section. Guys, most of you are pretty strategic when it comes to planning your lives. You have your calendars, you have your vacation schedules, you know what you have to do during the week. You know what time you have to be at work. You know, you know what time you have to pick up the kids. You know when needs to happen, what needs to happen. Let me just gently exhort you to bring that level of strategic planning to your spiritual life. And to say, you know what? What does it look like for us to prioritize gathering with God's people this season? I truly believe Okay. It, is, it is one of the non-negotiables of Scripture because it is for our good. It is for God's glory. It is a blessing to our souls. Okay, these last two sections we'll do rather quickly. So, of course, there's gathering, there's growing, but then there's going. For those of you who are new, who have, co- have come sometime in the last um, season and have not been with us along these ways, church, Four Oaks was a church planted about 32 years ago. And we moved into this facility in 2010 with the vision that that we were not going to be settlers. We were not coming here to the northeast side of Tallahassee to settle. We were coming to be pioneers. We wanted to have this place as a home base for ministry to launch off the planting of multiple congregations scattered across Tallahassee that were interdependent together, but contextualized for their own geographical setting to reach this cell city with the gospel. And by God's grace, guys, I just cannot tell you how super faithful he's been. So right now we have three congregations. Of course, we're here at Killarn, which was the original congregation. We have a congregation in Midtown, and we're going to flash some pictures up there. And we have a congregation um, um, at East. Now, all three of those congregations are by God's grace doing well. They're all in very different seasons. So you can pray for Midtown as they are looking for a permanent facility, hard to find in Midtown. Pray for East as um, they have had the real challenge and it's a blessing. They're a real multi-ethnic congregation because of where they are located. And it's, it's a super exciting thing. And they're figuring out what does ministry look like going forward. But one thing you need to understand is that we are not in competition with one another. We are one church. We are in partnership. In fact, the three pastors, myself, Pastor Josh and Pastor Lance, we meet weekly, okay? And let's be honest, guys, that is a, that is, that is a picture in desperately need of head coverings. Let's just really be honest about this, okay? I mean, it's, it's stark. I, we fully realize that we're very stark. We meet weekly to work on our sermons, to talk through strategy, 
and where all three congregations are preaching through the same book of the Bible. Not the same sermons, but the same book, the same passages. The elders from all, and that's really creeping me out, so please take it on down. All, elders from all three congregations, we meet monthly for teaching, um, for fellowship, for strategy, planning, oversight. And just know that we have an elder retreat coming up next weekend. We would love for you to pray for us. Now, one of the joint ventures that we are endeavoring this season is that we are applying for a pastoral residency where it's our desire for the three congregations to all be able to house full-time pastoral residents for the coming year. And these pastoral residents would be, would be men who would go on to lead or plant other churches. See, that's oftentimes a common question. What, well, what's the vision, Paul? Is there, is, there, is there more to be done in Tallahassee? And there is so much to be done in Tallahassee. And one of our parts of our long-term vision is over the next three to five years, we want to launch a fourth congregation in the south side of Tallahassee. And most likely that will be flowing out of the east congregation because of its proximity, because of its um, ethnic makeup. Um, God's doing a lot of exciting things there as well. And so be praying for those. Now, let me just mention a couple of GO initiatives that are happening right here at the Killarn congregation. Um, number one, um, you may not know this, but we have, we have begun a ministry to Allegro, which is the senior citizen's um, home across the street. So we are now conducting worship services there on Sunday mornings. And, um, and this is, this is a, a um, number of our volunteers, the Murphys, um, um, Ben Lazowski is um, uh, heading up this ministry. It's, um, it's an awesome opportunity for us to minister and serve our senior our senior um, uh, saints who are who live right across the street from us. So that's an exciting thing, guys. Um, we have um, an adoption and foster care ministry that has all sorts of cool things happening with it right now. The Demeters um, are now fostering with a new placement happening over the holidays, and there's a picture of them. And we have the faces blacked out of their foster kids, not because they're criminals, but because we're not allowed to show pictures of them. But pray for them. And guys, you guys have responded amazingly to helping them in this season. Um, we think about Byron and Jessica Caudill, their recent adoption of little Benjamin. And, and Byron is right over here and Jessica right over here. I know they're going to raise up Benjamin like in the Lion King pose for us at some point in the service, right? Um, but that's by adoption. What an incredible ministry. Michael and Jenny Wigley, they're pursuing adoption, waiting for a permanent placement. If God has pricked your heart in any of these areas, by the way, because there is so much going on here. We just don't have time to go through it all. There's a foster and adoption ministry awareness breakfast that's happening the 30th um, during the first service. And so we'll give you some more information about that. Because we also want to be praying for the Watson family who are going, not just locally, but they're going internationally. And by God's grace, the Watsons are going to be transitioning out of here into um, full-time gospel ministry overseas at Papua New Guinea. Um, with Wycliffe Ministries. Um, it's, just a, it's just an exciting see, thing to see God raise up homegrown folks to go out on the field. God, God, guys, God has called all of us to be on mission, some internationally, most of us locally, most of us within the context of just our regular day jobs, but we want to pray that we would be a going church this year. Last thing, I'm going to be done. I want to talk about giving just for a moment. And I want to ask you to prayerfully consider generosity in two areas. Generosity with your time 
and generosity with your treasure. My old pastor at First Press Chattanooga, Ben Hayden, would often say, he says, we felt, uh, folks, we talk about money twice a year here, and when we do so, we do so without apology. He was very famous for this. Because we don't talk about money all the time here at Four Oaks. But when we do, we do so without apology. Because we believe that giving is a part of our worship. We believe that generosity is the means by which God funds the mission for the local church and its ministries and fulfilling the Great Commission. It's very easy in a church this size to look around and say, you know what? Someone else will do that. Someone else will give. No one, my my gift is not going to make any sort of difference. And can I just push back on that and say that is a really pragmatic, cynical, overly economic driven view of giving, that it doesn't get to the heart of this idea that giving is a part of worship. And it doesn't get to this idea of ownership. Abraham Kuyper, famous theologian, said, not one, there's not one square inch of your life, Christian, over which Jesus Christ does not look at that and say, that belongs to me. And we acknowledge through our giving that our, our lives belong to him, that he has ownership, that he has given us a great commission to fulfill, and that the means that God uses to do it, humanly speaking, are through people and money. So let me just end that little part just by saying, if you're a member of this church, or if you call Four Oaks your home, or you are receiving ministry from this church, let me just call you into into what I would call the partnership of giving. It's a blessed partnership. It's a glorious partnership. People often ask, what do you think the number one question is people ask when we talk about this? Always it's what? How much? And I never answer it, but I'm going to answer it today. So take notes. Here we go. I don't say 10% absolutely, although I think that is a very wise place for most of us to start. But understand, the the biblical principle of giving is generosity. And what generosity looks like For a single mom of three who makes $30,000 a year, and what generosity looks like for a family of five that makes half a million dollars a year are radically different. And it's not not my job as the Holy Spirit to come in and prick your conscience and tell you what generosity looks like for you. But I do know it's a biblical claim, and it's something that God uses to not just fund the ministries of the church— but to bring joy to your heart. What does Jesus say? It is more blessed to give than to receive. And there's lots of ways that you can do that here, Um, whether it's the box, the text, the bank draft, all those sorts of things. You can find it on the hub. Last thing and we're done. Because when we think about being generous with our time, let's be honest, for some of us, it's much easier to scratch out a check than it is to commit our time. Time is one of the most precious things that we have, is it not? And we typically do what we want to do. And a biblical conviction that we have as a church family, as a leadership, is that all of us as believers have been gifted with a a spiritual gift or more. And that the question is not if I use it, but where I use it. And so at the end of our service here, we're going to have a commissioning of our deacons for this season. And deacons are lead servants. And deacons, understand this, are not put there to do the work of ministry for us. They are put here to do the work of ministry as an example to us. 
And as we see their example, we follow suit and say, I too want to serve. And so if you walk out of the service and your heart is pricked and say, you know, I real, it's time for me to really get vested in serving this body. Stop by the hub. I promise you, Joe Godfrey will put you to work somewhere, right? Now, she will, she will come alongside of you. We have a little tool, a little assessment thing to give you. We'd love to, to, to do that. Guys, we have an amazing church family here, not a perfect one. And my, my last exhortation to us is let's not take it for granted. Let's not take it for granted that we can always gather in this time, in this place, in this way as, as a people of God. Let's leverage the time. Let's leverage the days. Let's leverage the season. Let's leverage our resources both monetarily and in terms of our gifting to glorify God and to serve his family. Pray for Four Oaks this season. Let me pray for us.